<laughs> Welcome back to Restless. My name is Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport. And no, I don't have COVID at this current moment, but we are talking tonight about sickness. And you've joined Gianna and Diane with me. And lest you get turned off by that topic, we're really going to talk about how you can find God in sickness and how many of the saints dealt with sickness because it's part of our human condition, unfortunately, part of the effects of original sin that all of us do get sick and sometimes, uh, you know, very severely sick. So we start off with, I hope this isn't too gross. I don't know where this, is, <laughs> this conversation is going to go. <laughs> but uh, what's, what's the worst sickness that you've ever had that you're willing to share with all of our listeners? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I've had, I had cellulitis back probably three years ago. What is that? It's like a skin infection of Ooh. sorts. And yeah, uh, it started out looking like a bug bite. And I thought it was a bug bite. But I, you know, over the week, it just, uh, you know, like the redness, just the circle just get, kept getting bigger and bigger. And then sign. yeah, I showed someone at work and she was like, you should really go to the doctor. So I went to, I actually didn't go to the doctor. It got so bad that I ended up going like straight to the emergency room. Oh, geez. Um, yeah. So um, it was growing at that point. And um, <laughs> <laughs> picturing like it's a head or a limb yeah. coming out. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was honestly the worst pain that I've ever felt in my life. I couldn't even really? stand up. Yeah. Like I couldn't stand up to go to the bathroom. It was, it was so painful to bend my knee. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah, so I went to the emergency room, and at that point, um, I guess I had talked to my primary care because they put me on some oral antibiotics, which I had never been on an antibiotic before. What? Um, You've yeah. never been on an antibiotic before? Yeah, it was my first time. Oh my so, gosh, props for you. Mm-hmm. So they put me on uh, one, and I went to the emergency room, and I remember them telling me that I hadn't it hadn't been long enough to assess whether it was working or not. And I was like, well, this is growing, and it really hurts, but, you know, <laughs> I'll just go back home. So they drew a purple line, you know, with a marker, and they were basically like, you know, if it gets – if it goes beyond the lines, please come back. And a couple days later, it was well beyond the lines, so I went to my primary care, and she basically told me that I needed to go straight to the hospital again. Um, so – went back to the emergency room and uh, at that point it was just like it was excruciating I was like just do whatever you have to do to me to get this to like you know not hurt basically <laughs> yeah no I was ready for whatever oh that um, bad wow it was it was so it. bad it was the worst pain I felt and so the guy you know the when you're in the emergency room he just kind of like he cut a hole in my in my leg to drain you know whatever it was and then um, yeah he basically told me you'll leave that to your imagination <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever I have a picture was. if you want but no, uh, that's all right <laughs> Post it oh. on our website. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he told me that it was pretty bad, and I had to stay overnight for a couple nights to get the IV antibiotic because the oral antibiotics weren't working. At that point, I was oh on gosh. like three oral antibiotics, and none of them were working. So this is the first time you stayed overnight in the hospital, huh? Yeah, it was the first time since I was probably born that I was <laughs> in the hospital. So um, wow, yeah, and you know, I mean. It was kind of scary because they had to dig a hole into my leg, so I ended up having to, like, once it... I hope they numbed it up, right? They did with the lidocaine, but, you know, it doesn't... Lidocaine's not that strong. It's not, and they went pretty deep, so she was just like, let me know if this hurts. I can see your bone. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so it it went... It it didn't... Yeah, it, it definitely hurt when they did that, and then, you know, after... I was let out of the hospital. It was just a process of, you know, slowly. I mean, I couldn't run anymore. I, um, you know, had to go to wound care, uh, you know, because they have to show you how to, like, pack the wound. Um, Yeah. Wow. And this was three years ago. Like, I knew you then. I don't remember. 
yeah. any of this happening. Like, Yeah, no, I just, I, I did get out, of, I went in on Friday and then I got out on Sunday and I was like, I need to make the five o'clock mass. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go. But I couldn't kneel. Um, yeah, sure point. not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was quite an experience. That was probably the worst, you know, worst sickness I've had. And I guess ignorance is bliss because I didn't even realize how dangerous it was. I guess you Do could get sepsis die? and die. Oh, yeah. You can die from that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was good that I, I'm the type of person who like will not go to the doctor or take medication unless it, I deem it to be absolutely necessary. And I am not a medical professional. Well, so. I am, I'm absolutely amazed that you made it into your thirties without ever taking antibiotics. <laughs> I know. That is like, I don't right? never met anyone that's done that. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. That was quite an adventure. Uh, I hope I never have to uh, go on another, like, uh, you know, adventure like that again. Yeah, I can imagine. Wow. Ooh, that sounds pretty serious. And, yeah. And we'll talk in a moment about, like, what, what God taught you through all that. Because sure. I'm sure that's, uh, you know, you're deep in your faith at that point, And you're probably wondering, why in the world <laughs> am I almost dead you know, yep. in the hospital? Yeah. <laughs> well, what about you, Gianna? So I've been blessed. I haven't been extremely sick or anything like that from most of my life. I've never gone to a hospital or anything. I've been very blessed. Two things happened to me when I was younger, though. One, I was very young. I was four. And, you know, when a child is sick like that, sometimes they say that children have spot memories of what happens because so much is going on. Mm -hmm. So I lived in Staten Island at the time. And if I'm getting the story right, apparently West Nile virus was out on the island because of this mosquito repellent that ended up causing something. So... You know, in the sky, they let out stuff to kill these mosquitoes that have the West Nile virus. But it turns out a lot of younger kids who breathed it in ended up getting this form of sickness. I don't know what it's called. My mom knows it. And back then, the Internet was just a thing. So my aunt was looking it up. I was one of those kids that got really sick. Like bruises appeared on me and I was throwing up. And um, apparently so I was I do remember I remember I was in the hospital I don't know how long I was, um, but I remember just being really confused, like, what's going on? How come people are visiting me? You know, how come I'm throwing up? Like, I don't understand. But from what I understood is that this virus, whatever it was, had to work itself through me before it could stop. And unfortunately, one of the things was the stomach and the spleen could get twisted together in knots. And that's really, really bad. Wait, like, like actually physically twisted Something together? Something like that, yeah. Whoa. So without getting too graphic... The that. human body has many openings, so they had to stick one thing down my throat and another thing, you can probably guess, <laughs> and apparently I had to be like that for like a while, so Ooh. when it passed through, my guts didn't twist together, something like that. That's bizarre. So when I, I was can't young- I imagine how uncomfortable that is. Right. When I was young, that happened to me. I really don't remember to have spots. I remember watching things on the TV. I remember the girl laying down next to me in the other bed. I remember people visiting me. But I don't remember any of the sickness, but I do remember that experience of my life just being what's going on. That's a grace from God that you don't remember it. Right. That would be traumatic, yeah. I think. And then the next thing that was really scary, but I was never hospitalized, I ended up getting a UTI when I was eight. And the thing that stinks is that, like elderly people, children show things differently, have different symptoms than adults. So no one really knew what it was. And I remember I had horrible stomach pain. I was so sad and I was worried all the time, like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? Eventually, when they found it out, I took the medicine. I was fine. But that moment in my life, that was my summer when I was eight. I remember I was so terrified for like a month because I didn't know what was happening. And I was like, it hurt. And that stunk. That stunk a lot. And I remember more about that clearly than the woman I was for. But the woman I was eight really brought a feeling of, wow, I really don't. I'm not happy now. <laughs> that stunk. 
<laughs> Understandably. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. But I, I've been lucky. Besides those two things, nothing horrible has happened to me. Knock on wood. Well, thanks be to God. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. Yikes. How about you, Father? Me? I don't know. You know, nothing really all that serious. Thanks be to God. Thank I've actually God. never spent overnight in a hospital. Thank God. Um, That's great. Although I take lots of antibiotics. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. every winter. I don't know. No, I just trust in the Lord. I don't need to knock on the wood. wood. But uh, yeah, I broke my arm when I was nine. That was uh, pretty painful. Ooh. I've never broken anything. Yeah. I knock on wood. Well, but I've, yeah. We don't need to knock on wood. We just trust the Lord. Man. I'm afraid, though. What if I have to learn a lesson and God's like, uh oh, you know, <laughs> she didn't knock on wood. I guess she's. I guess she's condemned now. No, of course I don't think that happens, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I had had food poisoning. You kind of wish you were oh. dead when you have food poisoning. That's that was pretty. Yeah, rough. I've never I had, had that three times. I think. Oh, what did you eat? <laughs> Not my mom's cooking. I will be very clear. <laughs> now we had a some some rectories have cooks, and there was one cook. Oh who, uh, no! Wasn't just I guess it didn't take food safety all that seriously. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But actually, one of the most memorable times I was sick was um, I actually missed the millennium. Oh. I had the flu when it turned from 1999 to 2000. And I remember I went to bed at like 8 p.m. on, you know, December 31st. And I'm like, just wake me up, you know, when the ball drops. And so they woke me up like 10 minutes before midnight. I like stumbled out like t- totally bleary. I'm not even there, like on Benadryl up to, up to the like, crazy. I was like, oh, it's the millennium. Oh. Good night. <laughs> I went back to bed. I was just happy that it wasn't the whole Y2K bug. Do you yeah. guys remember that? No. Vaguely. No, see, so you were probably too young for that. Yeah. Yeah, I was probably four. Yeah, no, so, so Y2K, everyone was terrified that the world was going to end, more or less. Like the internet was going to shut down, the air, electricity was going to shut down. My parents had like three or four months worth of food in the basement. Cause <laughs> you should never know, you know? Yeah. And so so we were prepped, we were ready. And so we're kind of the whole day, we're like watching, all right, Australia goes first. Phew, okay, they're okay. All right, all right. <laughs> Japan, oh, phew, they're all right. <laughs> so How many of those predictions have come and gone? And yeah, the world was supposed to end at least like four or five times in my lifetime. Yeah. 2012, that was another big one. Mm-hmm. It was actually, in 2012, it was supposed to end on my brother's 18th birthday. Oh. So I thought there was a connection. Oh, interesting. <laughs> my brother was going to end it. I don't know. But, uh, Played a role. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, all right, so, so when you face these kind of things, these kind of sicknesses, like, are you pretty courageous or are you like one of those wimps that's like, uh, no, I shouldn't say wimps. <laughs> one of those people that... Uh, kind of can't really face suffering well. Yeah, I think when you're in it, honestly, you just, you have to deal with it, you know? So uh, God gives you the grace to power through, I guess. I don't know. When I had the cellulitis, my mom was like in the room when he was cutting my leg open. And she just remembered, you know, like she always tells me, oh, like you take pain really well, you know? So oh, that's good. Um, yeah. But again, I think maybe ignorance is bliss and the fact that like in, in this instance, I didn't know how serious it was. I mean, but... I've had COVID pretty bad too. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't get scared. It's, it's more like, I think the anticipation of suffering and disease or like, you know, uh, the question of, oh, am I going to like at some point in the future develop cancer or some serious Mm. illness or something like, I think that that fear is often worse maybe. And I'm not trying to downplay what people go through or anything. And obviously I've never experienced anything very traumatic, but, um, you know, uh, I think that, you know, you just have to, um, you just deal with it as it comes and often sort of going through it isn't as bad as the anticipation. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I know what you mean. My my uh, Alzheimer's runs in my family big time, like mm-hmm. Alzheimer's slash dementia type you know, thing. And and I just uh, we just buried one of my aunts in their young seventies, and another uncle has it in his seventies, and my grandmother died of it. So so that's my concern. Is like you know, oh my gosh, like my memory 
could go not so much physical, but I that's it looks it looks like a really terrible way to get sick. Yeah. Yeah, my grandmother had dementia too. And it was, you know, it's very hard, um, maybe even more so for the people, you know, your loved ones who are, you know, watching. Yeah. You know, family members go through suffering because um yeah, there's nothing that you can do, you know? So That is the toughest thing, is watching your family members go mm-hmm. through it and you're you're helpless. Yeah, yeah. And then especially something as debilitating as Alzheimer's, you know. Like the they basically it's it's like they're like a different person. I mean, they're the same. You you love them the same way, but they're they're different. Yeah, yeah. The, it's almost. I mean, my my grandmother, her personality died four years before she did. Yep. Same with mine. Yep. Exactly. You know, and it's it's a it's a sad reality, but in in some sense, it's kind of a, a gradual saying goodbye. It is. You know, yeah. I remember my grandfather wasn't really all that sad at the funeral, and in fact, he's my grandfather, much to his eternal credit, took care of her to the very last breath. Mm-hmm. Never put her in a, a facility or anything. And at the end, he was like. Wow, I, I feel free now because now he could go where he wanted and didn't have to worry about uh, you know his wife. But yeah, that's so. beautiful, and she got to die in the comfort of her home and all with around to loved ones and everything. So exactly, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. That's heroic, but not easy. Yeah, not a doubt. So are you? Are you what about you, Gianna? Do you face it with courage, or you're a little kind of scaredy cat when they give you shots? Well, you know, again, I haven't really gone through anything so serious like this before, and again, when that thing was. You know, when I was going through that thing when I was eight, you know, my family basically would tell me, stop worrying. The more you worry, the more likely it'll happen. So I took that while growing up and I just said to myself, you know what? If they weren't scared to death with what was going on with me, there is something about don't think about this stuff unless you really have to. And, you know, whenever I've... But don't you think parents kind of like put on a a courageous face for their kids? (laughs) No. No. I no? think they really meant it when they say, don't worry about it. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, but... um, I, I don't know. Maybe probably, probably parents do it differently. <laughs> but um, where I was going with that was... um, hmm, What was I going to say? Something oh, about your parents being when, So as I grew up, I took that with me. And, you know, with anything that's happened to me that has been negative, I've always said, is this something where you have to give in to fear and be terrified? And if the answer is no... Take a deep breath, you know, keep your mind about it, and let's see what happens. As long as it hasn't been you're going to die tomorrow, I'm like, how much worse can it, how much scarier worse can this get? You know, so I don't want to, I don't want to say like, yeah, I'm ready, courage, like right away, but it's just like, <laughs> okay, let's think about this. Where are we, you know, well, looking at it through go the, through your feelings and, you know, looking you know, at it from the eyes of faith, really, there's nothing to be afraid that's of. That's correct. Right? Because even if you die, we still have hope. I mean, there's everlasting life, and I mean, and I, and I think a part of it is that how I feel now. Do I feel like God abandoned me? And the answer has always been no. So it's like, okay, how much worse can this possibly be? God's with me, so yeah, I'm not alone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, the the times I've had, I've gotten really sick. I had surgery on the bottom of my spine back when I was 16, which was that was pretty serious surgery. But uh, like that whole time, actually, because that was kind of at the same time that I was deepening my own faith and going through this deep conversion experience and. And I really felt that consolation of being like, all right, offer this up. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. that's no problem. Yeah, I can do that. It's, let's offer it all up. And- yeah, I think the most important thing is not to waste your suffering, right? Because the world is in need of great redemption in so many ways. Our family members, our friends, our, you know, coworkers. Um, and suffering is an opportunity to kind of, you know, like to to basically ask God to use that for the salvation of souls, 
very powerful, especially when it hurts. Um, so how does that work? Because, you know, I mean, St. Paul says that we make up in our flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, but nothing's lacking in the sufferings of Christ, right? So, I mean, how does it work that my pain, my whatever it is, my knee pain or stomach issue is going to save, help Christ save the world? I mean, what's the logic behind that? Well, nothing is lacking in Christ's suffering and redemption, but except for our own suffering. Um, and, you know, that's where we have the opportunity to give of ourselves and unite our sufferings with those of Christ. And because we're part of the body of Christ, you know, we are presented to the Father with the sacrifice of Jesus, you know. Um, and so so that is meritorious in that, like, we can apply our sufferings for, you know, whatever intentions that we have and we pray for. Yeah. I was reminded that uh, I think it was St. Faustina who said that if angels could be jealous of us, it was for two reasons. Do you know what they were? Uh, a body and to be able to enjoy a Big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> I don't enjoy a Big Mac. <laughs> no, he said one was for the Eucharist, mm-hmm. to receive the Eucharist, okay. which they can't do. And the other one is to suffer. The angels wish they could suffer. Because mm. I think suffering is the most profound kind of love there is. In fact, it was Padre Pio who said... Uh, that's the proof of love is to suffer for the one you love. So really, I think suffering makes love incarnate. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we don't need to go seek it out because God gives it to us. Right. Yeah. And that's the kind of suffering that's most pleasing to God. Yep. And um, there's no, yeah, there's no resurrection without the cross, right? I mean, Jesus told us, <laughs> pick up your cross and follow me. So if we're not doing that, then, you know, we're really not living the Christian life. And yeah, um, I don't know, suffering for me, like whenever I have a... St- when I had that serious illness, it just, you, you kind of, I mean, you, you can either brush it off or you can take it as an opportunity to really just, you know, for me, it was sort of uh, a reality check, right? Like reprioritization, trying to figure out, okay, what is, what's really the most important? You know, oftentimes when, when, when you're filled with joy and nothing's going wrong or whatever, it's very easy to forget about God. But during those times of suffering, you know, you, you kind of are reminded of your dependence on him, um, you know, like your own, your own lack essentially. And, um, the fact that your life could end at any moment. So you better be living in such a way that, you know, like if God calls you tonight, you're ready to go. Um, and, you know, like that's that's a tall order. We're all called to be great saints, and we don't want to just like get by, you know, by the skin of our teeth. You know, like so, so that brings up a, a really good point about like memento mori, right? Remember your death, and like when you have been sick, was that or or even like during the whole COVID pandemic when sickness was kind of in the news, was like the possibility of death on your mind at all? And for me, with COVID specifically, I think maybe the first week when I was watching the television and listening to everything, but, like, inside I felt a twinge, but, like, it didn't stay. And I was just like, okay, let's just see what happens, because right now I'm stuck in the comfort of my own home doing what I want, and I'm not <laughs> seeing anyone, so I can't see a possibility of me dying here. And then we would go outside, we had the masks on and everything, and, you know, eventually I was just like, it didn't last long, I was like, okay... I, I still don't feel like death is around the corner. And of course, as time went on, and then we all develop our opinions on this whole thing and why we think it's here, <laughs> yeah. fear didn't, I didn't, I really did not think fear was around the corner for me for this. I didn't think about it even when I had older people in my family. I was just like, I don't think you guys are going to go either. I mean, I just, I just didn't see it. But everyone else was going through, I had nobody close to me. 
that got it or anything. So with COVID, I wasn't really seeing the death part of it. So no, I didn't think death was there for me for COVID. Yeah. I was, I, I was, uh, I just Googled with the Google, uh, one of my favorite quotes from, uh, John Eldridge, you ever read or hear, hear about John Eldridge? He wrote, it was an extremely famous book back in the early 2000s called Wild at Heart about like kind of a masculine journey. And he said this line, he said, he said, the most dangerous man on earth is the man who is reckoned with his own death. Because like if you if you come to peace with the fact that you're going to die, you are literally fearless. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing. What what else can hit you? Like all right, death is coming. I'm ready. Bring it on. Not in a macho sense, but like in a truly Christian sense of like all right, well. Well, yeah, and that makes sense. You know, from the perspective of if you even think about governments, right? Like communism. That's why they fear sort of the family and religion because they know that you know, like if you believe in a higher power, God, you know, like you're not going to fear leaders and um, you know, just think of the martyrs and everything. I mean, they went to their deaths, kind of just some of them very brutal, um, but they believed in what they believed and that was the most important thing and they were willing to lose their lives for it yeah yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. and you know it's funny you bring up the martyrs like because it seems like a lot of saints dealt with sickness you know are you familiar with any sicknesses that the saints had and, and how they dealt with it well apparently saint bonaventure when he was growing up he had many digestive sicknesses a lot of stuff with his stomach and there was a point i think he he was going to leave this earth and i think that was when he realized just the beauty the power and the glory of god before of course he was healed and he grew up and he just dedicated the rest of his life to the lord and became the wonderful i think he is he a scholar oh yes yeah Yeah, he became one of the wonderful scholars that we have so I know he was dealing with some sicknesses, and it's so funny because oh, so I'm that like, was, that was kind of his turning point. Yeah, and I, I don't was, know his story. That's what much. I thought when I read because I was just like, you know, who's the patron saint of digestive problems? And like, <laughs> oh, Saint Bonaventure, how the patron saint of everything? How wonderful, right? So it's like, believe it or not, there is a saint for it. And I remember, um, I read it, and I was just like, you know what? He was little like me, and he was sick in his stomach like me at one point, and he became a amazing saint. Who would have thought that a little sick child? At the end of the day, he becomes a saint. Sure, you know. Sure, it's kind of like Ringo Starr was sick, and then he became one of the greatest drummers in rock and roll history. Oh, was, was he a sickly child? Oh yes, he was a very sickly child. I didn't a lot know of that. his problems were digestion. That's why he's been a vegetarian for God knows how many years. I bet this is all like undiagnosed gluten intolerance. Isn't, <laughs> I mean, because like back in those days, nobody had like ever thought, oh yeah, you can't eat wheat because like right. that's literally the only thing you ate. Right. So. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. I mean, another saint that I'm thinking about, or well, a blessed, blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati. I think he contracted polio. Um, because he was out serving, you know, the poor and the destitute. And uh, I believe that the story goes that his grandmother was dying at the time. And so he was actually very sick and he didn't, he didn't like tell his parents. Um, and so he didn't really get the care that he needed um, because he, he basically just didn't want them to worry about him while his grandmother was, was passing away. So just speaks to kind of his selflessness. I mean, obviously that takes a lot of courage um, and complete sort of, you know, uh, yeah, just, just not thinking about yourself. <laughs> yeah. Going yeah. off of that one, St. Damien of Molokai, he mm. went to Molokai where all of the lepers and all of the gravely sick people were sent in Hawaii and he went there. He was a Belgian priest and he wanted to go there and he ended up contracting leprosy and he ended up dying of it. Yeah. Yep. This past weekend, I told the story in my my homily about St. Aloysius Gonzaga who did the same thing, helped victims of the plague and caught it himself. And I know during the COVID pandemic, I was I was kind of heartbroken on a couple of occasions because I was asked to go and see someone in the hospital who had COVID and give them anointing of the sick. 
And I was totally willing to do it, but the hospital said absolutely not. Oh, yeah. And so there was one occasion that I was on the phone praying with somebody, just praying the prayers, and and there was like nothing I could do. I was like, oh, oh my gosh. I think that was the worst part of the pandemic, just the um, lack of access to the sacraments um, that, you know, it's it's kind of crazy to think that people had to die without alone. the sacraments. And alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I yeah. have opinions about sort of like what the church did in terms of, you know, <laughs> what message does that send, you know, when, when we kind of, you know. Physical health over spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. even going back to the whole, um, the saints and what they had, like, you know, growing up, of course, I went to Catholic school my whole life, so saints were a big part of just, like, learning and stuff. And St. Damien was the first time the saint died because he got what was coming to him. And I was just like, but wait a minute, this isn't the way it's supposed to end. God's supposed to make you completely, vo- you know, protected, you're not protected. Never, you're not supposed yeah. to get contracted, those things. And as I grew older, I always thought about that. I'm like, he got it. And, like, he didn't go back even when they offered him to come back he said no and i just said because this is what he was there for yeah and all the people he helped along the way he literally gave his time on this earth to help these people that nobody wanted anything to do with because they were literally sent to an island to To, die die. and it's just that it's incredible you know and you know the famous story of you know know, he found out he had leprosy was then a woman accidentally dropped a boiling pot of water for tea on his legs and he didn't feel it. And he it. didn't feel anything. But the next week, he'd always gotten up every every week at Mass and, and started the homily with My Dear Lepers. And then finally he started it, my, We Lepers. And like he wanted to be so identified with them that God gave him a share in their own disease. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, is, is a perfect example of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. He wanted to be so like us, that he, like us in all things but sin, that he took on even death and torture, and another thing the story taught me is like, you know, you want to get angry because it's like he did something so good. Why why would that happen to him like in the name of the Lord? But exactly what you said. Yeah. Exactly what you said. You know, he's here. He was there for that. So, you know, I think Damien Amolka is such a great example of, of another question I'd love to hear from you that, um, you know, he took care of the sick. And that's that's another avenue in which sickness, even if it doesn't happen to us, can be very formative. Have you ever had the opportunity to take care of someone who who was sick? Not personally, no, not not really. I mean, my mom had cancer. Um, it, did she really? Yes, yeah, she did. Um, breast cancer. I don't think um, I knew that. Wow. Yeah, that was in oh gosh, it was probably six or seven years ago at this point. But um, she seems to have no ill effects at this point. No, but she had a double mastectomy, and it was you know obviously very serious. Um, they caught it super early. That's good. Um, so you know, like when she was coming home, I mean, I'm sure it helped around the house a little bit. But my dad was obviously sort of the primary caretaker there taking her to appointments, you know, mm-hmm. uh, spends a ton of time in doctor's offices. Just, you know, you have to have a lot of consultations up front and then obviously the care afterwards, the surgery, the reconstruction, everything. Um, so yeah, my, I, I would say that I've maybe not firsthand experienced it, but my dad certainly, you know, has been the caretaker and even my dad with the grandmother who just passed away this July, she had dementia, uh, mm-hmm. for about five years and, uh, you know, she lived in, Massachusetts, my dad, you know, we live in Connecticut. So it was managing that um, at home nursing, you know, uh, care, uh, just constantly on the phone, getting calls all the time about, you know, she's she's back in the hospital. It was like in and out, in and out, medications not working, her being loopy. It was, you know, it was a constant, um, basically a full-time job. Yeah. 
Wow. For him. Yeah. But but I'm sure, I mean, in some respects it's it's a great honor to to be there for someone else, especially you know your mom who gave you so much life and sacrificed herself. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it makes you number one, it makes you appreciate sort of, you know, when someone is when someone is helpless, you just want to ex- do what you can, right? Because you can't take away this, you can't change the situation, but you can certainly, um, you know, make them just kind of feel loved. I think it's, we were talking about that fe- feeling of, you know, consolation sort of in your sickness. I think people can provide that too, um, to, to, to those who are kind of going through in, intense suffering. Um, I think, you know, and it's, uh, I don't know, I think it's a, it's an opportunity to grow in the spiritual life too, right? Of just like we're made to love, to give of ourselves, and that that's supposed to hurt at times. Um, I don't think it's easy, but well, it's being like Simon of Cyrene, mm-hmm. you're helping helping that person carry their cross. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a joy that comes from that, alleviating suffering in whatever means that we can. Yeah, you know, Padre Pio, who suffered so much in his life with the stigmata and everything, he had such a compassion for suffering because he suffered, and so he he built. And I don't know if you've ever been, probably not, because it's really way off the beaten path to uh, San Giovanni Rotondo, where he lived and died. I've, I've been there, and it's amazing because it is like the most desert part of mm-hmm. Italy. It's still dirt poor, you know, a lot of dirt roads and just, you know, people are just subsistence farming and everything. And in this desolate wasteland, there's this gigantic state-of-the-art hospital that he built with donations. Wow. He solicited for it, and it's called the Home for the Release of Suffering. And that, that was one of Padre Pio's main driving missions was to, because he suffered so much, he wanted to take that suffering of, of others away. Kind of a beautiful thought. Very know. beautiful thought. So thank you for joining us on this episode of Restless. My challenge for you is this. The next time you feel some suffering, whether it's a short-term thing like stubbing your toe or a headache, or whether it's something much larger, don't waste it. Offer it up to the Lord. And if, if possible, be a sign of Cyrene to someone else who's suffering and try to take their cross a little bit upon your shoulders. You can join us on Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, and also wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time.